I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very lucky to be joined now by Apu Gupta, who's the co-founder and CEO of Curlate. Apu, welcome to the show. Carl, thanks so much for having me, and greetings from Philly, where it's always sunny. You know, it's so ironic. I usually broadcast from there, but uh, here we are on the phone from San Francisco. Um, well, there we you, go. Were you, were you, you're a Wharton grad from 05. Did, am, you ever yeah. take, did you ever take my class? I, you know, I did not have the pleasure of doing so. All right. That's good news, bad news. The bad news <laughs> is you didn't take my class. The good news is I didn't forget your name. So I, I, I consider it mixed, mixed news. Well, uh, thanks for coming in. And I wonder, let's just start. Actually, first thing I want to do is start off by giving our listeners your URL. It's a, it's a very nice name, Curalate, which is C-U-R-A, Cura, late, L-A-T-E. So C-U-R-A-L-A-T-E, Curalate.com. Um, Apu, give us the elevator pitch for Curalate. Curalate is the leading visual commerce platform. We, what we do is actually reduce the distance between discovery and purchase using the images that surround your brand uh, and use that to drive uh, product and brand discovery as well as on-site conversions of, of products. All right. Now make that really concrete for me. How does it actually <laughs> we, work? We basically change the way buyers buy and sellers sell, and we use it. We do that by by using all of the imagery that surrounds brands today. If you if you think about the proliferation of social channels that uh, exist out there and all the places that consumers live, uh, what you what you start to see is that uh, people are con- creating content at massive scale. The brands, the consumers, uh, you know, influencers, all these folks, and a lot of that imagery is about the products that people love, and the products that people have bought, and the products that they celebrate. And that imagery can be a really powerful driver of uh, discovery for people who happen to be following these people on social media, but can also be a big, a powerful driver of checkouts when you when you're actually on the website looking at products because it inspires. It helps people understand how these products can fit in their lives. And so what Curalate does is harnesses uh, and aggregates all of that imagery, connects that imagery to the products that those images are about, and then gets it in front of the consumers wherever those consumers might live. All right. So make it even one step more specific. Um, so we make picture I, shoppable. There, you make picture simple. shoppable. There we go. There you go. You're still working on that elevator pitch. All right. <laughs> we're, we're four years into this and have 850 brands. I'm, I still have got to. I still got to get this down. Well, actually, you know what I think the issue is. I think you guys, if I understand correctly, you sell to the brands, right? We do. We do. Yeah. We don't sell to the consumer. That's right. Yeah. So so there's a very it's a very different pitch, I think, to the consumer than it is to the brand. But but let's put it let's go go to the consumer first. And so so I'm actually I was just literally before the show looking at images on my desktop uh, associated with podcasters, people who are good at podcasters. Yep. They were all talking about their gear. So yeah. how how would that how is Curlate would Curlate be useful in that setting for instance? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, think about the, the experience you had. You you were looking at some photos that podcasters had posted of of their gear. And you probably were looking at some of those things and saying, "Oh, that that looks cool. I'd like to learn more about that or I'd, maybe I'd like to buy that or whatever mm-hmm. it might have been." That's exactly what I was thinking. Right, yeah. but it's frustrating because 
the pictures are not aware of the products that are inside of them, right? The, the images at the end of the day are really just a pile of dumb pixels that have no actual idea that there is product represented in those photos. And, and so if you're a consumer that is interacting with that image and viewing that image, you have no way of going from that moment of discovery, that, that image that, that led to this, this, you know, this serendipitous discovery to a place of purchase because you can't like peer into that image and say, well, what is that? Is that a radio? Is that a microphone? What microphone is that? Mm -hmm. Et cetera. And that's frustrating for a consumer. And so if what we really want to do is shorten that distance from that moment of discovery to that moment of purchase. We want to make that as frictionless as possible. And because so much discovery today is happening in visual content, images and video, it's a real problem. It creates this, the, the, you know, a lot of friction to, you know, on that path. And so what we have to do at Curulate is find ways to embed product information um, into that visual content. And that's, yeah. that's really what our platform is about. Yeah, so let's, so let's keep pushing that analogy. I, I actually did want to buy the microphone that was cool. in Tim Ferriss's uh, uh, photo. Uh, how, how, where would that image be embedded in order for Curolate to be able to do its magic? So it and how would it on, work? It could live on Tim's blog. Right okay. on his on his site, um, Tim could you know and, and you know a number of the brands we work with operate blogs and they use our products to take the imagery that lives on their blog and um, make that imagery uh, essentially shoppable right there on that blog. So when you interact with that image, all of the products that are in the image essentially reveal themselves to you. When you hover over that image, you see little numbers, just like you would in an old catalog, for example. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you know, catalog photos used to kind of have little letters or numbers next to each of the products, and then over on the right side of the catalog, you would, you would see the names of all those products. Well, we've, we've made that even easier. Now when you hover over the image, all of the, the there's little numbers that appear next to the, the products, and when you hover over the numbers, the name of the product appears right next to that. And you can click on the shop button, and that shop button will take you to a place to learn more about the product and buy right there. Very and so cool. it really shortens yeah. that um, that path from that from that yeah. you know moment that you had today. If you wanted to do that, you would take that image, and now you would have to go onto Google or something like that. You'd have to type in you know podcast microphones, or maybe you'd have to ask Tim, "Hey Tim, All what right. microphone is that?" And it's a really you know uh, circuitous path to finding the information. Yeah. So so you've created a set of tools that will allow any image that containing products to be clickable or shoppable, uh, which is really, really cool. And maybe you could talk a little bit about, about you, you, you talked about all those different places the image might reside, including in on someone's blog or in any kind of setting in which that image is native content. Who, how, does the, how, did the, how does the transaction work and who gets paid? Yeah, so Curolite's not in the transaction game, and you know we mm -hmm. we really don't want to be. Um, what we really are focused on is driving the consumer to a place of purchase. And so today, um, we might be integrated into a brand's website. So Urban Outfitters here in Philadelphia is you know a client uh, of Curolite's um, throughout their website, from uh, you know on their product detail pages as well as on, they have kind of uh, purpose-built gallery pages as well as in their app. 
content that flows from Curolate flows into the urban, environment, urban Outfitters environment, consumers can interact with that imagery. When they click on that imagery, they can see all the products that are in those images. They can get inspired from that. And then when they click on, on the specific products, they're actually driven to a page, you know, a product detail page where they can buy that product, learn more about that product, et cetera. So, so at, all, at all stages, what Curolate's really trying to do is enhance the discovery and the conversion experience, but we want the transaction to really live with the brand. Okay, so so in the case of Tim Ferriss's blog, he would have to have a place to drive them to, even if it were, say, to Amazon, uh, yeah, in order so for it to you, work. Yeah, exactly. And what you see with a lot of bloggers, for example, and and you know, folks like Tim Ferriss who have sizable audiences, is they don't want to necessarily operate their own e-commerce site, but what they do want to do is get affiliate revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So sort of passive revenue for referring people to Amazon or some other retailer. And if a person checks out, they get a commission essentially. Well, that, you know, so when, when bloggers like that use our tools, what happens is because that path is uh, more straightforward, what you start to see is that the conversion rates go up and you get paid more often and, and there's yeah. real goodness for it, you know, for you to do things like that. Got it. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the technology. I can imagine a simple way to do this, which would be I define hotspots on images manually and and put some attributes on them. Is that how it works? How, how so, does it work? Yeah. yeah so, so uh, uh, you know, yes, at the core, what we are doing is giving you a set of tools that enable you to um, uh, define and, and tag, you know, the, the products and those images by doing, you know, very similarly what you just what you just mm -hmm. said. Um, the the reality about computer vision today, you know, machine learning and computer vision and, and the idea that uh, a computer could recognize every object in an image is that that you've got to really separate science fiction from science fact. Mm -hmm. Science fiction, you know, a computer could look at any picture and accurately determine exactly what's in that picture down to the individual product and tell you exactly what product that is. Today, sort of state of the art might be able to tell you, oh, that's a bicycle, that's a, that might, that's a microphone, that's a table, but they won't be able to tell you exactly which one it is. Yeah. And, and that's when, when you're trying to drive to a specific product page or a specific transaction, you actually need that specificity. And so there is a human element involved. Now, what Curolate, um, where the complexity lies is in ingesting all of that content, in um, bringing in all the product metadata, and then actually in the user interface around the tagging itself. So there's both mm -hmm. a user interface and, and workflow around that that's complex, uh, that you need to reduce the complexity on dr dramatically. And then we have a whole um, team of computer vision scientists at Curolate who are constantly working on algorithms to try to give the human that's involved hints on what those products might be so that they yeah. can reduce the time it would take to do the tagging. Um, and do and they then, find, uh, they find some edges as well in an image, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah. various, it's various methods. Yeah. It's, you know, involving yeah. deep learning as well as, you know, um, uh, kind of object detection sort of methods. So there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of different things you're, you kind of, you kind of try to throw at these problems. Um, and, you know, it, it evolves over time. But, but, you know, the reality of it is that, again, you know, just to set expectations, we are still a long way off for right. this being a fully, fully automated um, endeavor. And so 
a lot of what we think about at Curalate is how do you distribute that work? Right. How do you, you know, and, and so, you know, building tools to do that as well. Yeah. And of course, if you're, if you're a commerce, if you're a retailer, you don't mind investing in, in use it, it you don't, and by mind putting a little investment into tagging things and, and entering that data. It sounds like though the Holy grail would be essentially any image anywhere on the internet could be clickable and purchasable. And, and that would require automation. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the first time you, you interact with an image that can come to life like this, you you ask yourself, well, why doesn't the whole web work like this? Right. I mean, the whole web would be a sort of a better place and not just the web, but you know, any internet, I mean, we think about it as, as the internet, right? Any, any device that has a screen eventually will have visual content flowing through it. Why can't I interact with it? And it's not always just to click through and buy something. It's not just about driving to a transaction. It's about obtaining more information yeah. and reducing that friction. And so, yes, I mean, certainly. And and eventually we will get there and the, you know, and the, the internet will get there, um, but it will take, you know, it will take, it will take some time. I think mm-hmm. the other reason brands are willing to do this, why they're willing to put in uh, a little bit of effort, um, which, you know, quite just to contextualize it, it literally takes about five to 10 seconds to tag an image. Um, but the whole system is set up for tag one to use everywhere. And so mm-hmm. a big part of what we do at Curalate is um, develop integrations as well and develop our own um, touch points that this imagery can be distributed to so that you can get it in front of more and more consumers. We, we, we serve um, we, we serve up content to uh, to well over 100 million consumers a month right now. Um, and so, you know, if you're a brand uh, and you can spend five or 10 seconds to tag an image, there's some real goodness that you, you know, in, in, in the distribution side of this ultimately. Yeah. Um, geez, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff here and it's, <laughs> Uh, so I, I'm just wondering how you got into this. Where did this idea come from, and how did it evolve? Well, it wasn't um, it wasn't exactly the most straightforward path. So my co-founder and I uh, met in 2011, and we were introduced through a through a mutual acquaintance, and um, we decided to start a company called Storably. And Storably was Airbnb for parking and storage. Huh. So if you had spare space in your garage or, uh, you know, in, or your basement, you could rent it out to your neighbor for, for uh, you know, parking or storage. And Airbnb had just raised $100 million at a billion-dollar valuation, and um, everybody in the Valley was like, wow, I just missed out on Airbnb. This sounds like this could be the next Airbnb. And so we went out to the Valley, and we raised, uh, you know, we raised our seed round relatively quickly. And went off to the races and, and, and launched Storably. And it turned out to be a terrible, terrible idea. And we went back <laughs> how'd you learn? Our... How'd, you, how'd you find out it was a terrible idea? I mean, it, it, the market decided for us. We launched this thing, you know, and within, within, we had all this, this press and, and all of this stuff. And even at our peak, we never got more than 3,000 visitors to our website after all of this press. And it was just terrible. We, you know, we had a handful of transactions. We tried a bunch of different things to try to make it work. And we had these great investors. You know, NEA is our, was our lead investor, first round cap, capital, specifically Josh Koppelman, you know, was, was our, our second largest investor. Uh, Mentor Tech Ventures here in Philly uh, was our, our third largest investor. Great investors behind us, and we had to, you know, come come back to them with our, with our tail between our legs, and say, hey guys, uh, th- this was a terrible idea. I know you you trusted us, um, but uh, do you want your money back? And um, fortunately, they said no. They said, you know what, 
go, go figure something else out. And it was late 2011 by now. And there was a platform called Pinterest that was starting to emerge ah, in 2011. Yeah, yeah. And you couldn't go anywhere in 2011 without running into Pinterest. It was everywhere. It was in every magazine and newspaper and TV, whatever. And my co-founder and I said, all right, well, what if we just build um, a Pinterest analytics company? Uh, you know, we started with that sort of simple sort of insight that this, this felt a lot like Twitter in its early days. And as we started to build it, my co-founder had this really profound insight. And he said, you know, this really isn't about Pinterest. This is about pictures. And we realized that this was about a fundamental shift in consumer behavior online, that consumers increasingly were consuming visual content over traditional text-based content. And if you think about it today, even the text that we type in is turning into images, right? It's all turning into emoji now. Mm -hmm. This is how we communicate. It's how we consume. And that, we thought, would have really profound impact, uh, a really profound impact on, um, on the Internet itself. And both of us, you know, I grew up in the Silicon Valley. Both of us are, are people that believe in, you know, Silicon Valley-sized ideas, like really big, let's go change the world kind of ideas, things that are re related to megatrends and, 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 you know, kind of big fundamental shifts in behavior. And we think those kinds of shifts create large disruptions, and those are the kind of opportunities we want to pursue. And that's, that's what led to it. And, and it wasn't from the beginning, uh, you know, it's been an evolution. It wasn't like at the beginning we thought of where we would be today. But as we got into it, as, as the product set evolved, as our brand relationships evolved, we started to get smarter and smarter over time. And, you know, I think we've, 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 it's, it's worked out really well. Apo, I want to take you back to that moment of that pivot. I, I've actually, I do quite a lot of angel investing. I've had it, two recent companies who've come to me with that conversation of yeah. it's just not working. And and the one of them asked me a hard question. I'm going to ask it to you. He said, "How do I know if it's just not working, or if I just need to keep at it?" And yeah, and it's a hard question because you don't have much, you don't have much fuel in the tank. And so you don't want to just keep driving if you're going in the wrong direction. On the other hand, maybe maybe the solution is just over the next hill. So Josh Koppelman, uh, I think, said this best. He said, most entrepreneurs see a body on the table and they say it's in a coma. You two are at least smart enough to say it's dead. <laughs> um, and, yeah. you know, I, I th he was right. And I think one of yeah. the things, and, and I can't tell you that we planned to do this or that we were particularly insightful. We just happened early on. Um, after we were sort of struggling with, with some traction, we asked our investors uh, a really simple question. And we said, you know, look, if, if, you, knew, if you were going to support us in our A round, what sort of metrics would you need to see? And it was probably the single best question we ever asked because they threw some numbers at us. And those numbers were at least 10x where we were. Yeah. And we, at, because of that, we had a goalpost, right? We knew where we needed to be if we needed to raise more money. And, and at a seed stage, you know, VC-backed company, you're going to have to raise more money, right? So, so you know that you're going to have to do this. And, and because we were backed by institutional investors, if they had not participated in our next round, it would have been the kiss of death, right? So, right. so um, 
so we knew what these numbers were. And, and so it was very easy then to look at the progress we were making month over month and compare that to our burn rate and sort of do the math. And for us, we basically looked at it and said, look, the pace at which our numbers are improving relative to the pace at which we're running out of money, these two will not intersect. We will, we will run out of money far sooner than we will ever hit those numbers that are required. And the minute we had that realization, we realized it, every day we waste on this is just more money lost. In the end, it was really important that we reach that decision when we reached it, because by the time we had pivoted, built out the new platform and launched, we only had about two months of cash left in the bank. So had we waited even a little bit longer, we would have never had the money to make the, the pivot, you know, this restart that we did. Yeah, but it's sort of amazing. You could restart and get enough traction to prove that you were did you did you did you need a little bridge round or something after no, the pivot? No, we you know thankfully Pinterest you know Pinterest was so hot at the end of 2011 and nobody you know, when we went back to 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 our investors and said look we're going to build a Pinterest analytics company so you're going to bet a startup on a startup we said yeah well do you have a better idea so you know like all right well let's do this and we we put this out and Pinterest was so hot and. We, we built this little beta site and we said to um, brands, hey, you know, we're going to, we have 10 slots available for beta. And we, our first employee was a, a kid by the name of Brendan Lowry. And, and he had this, he, you know, social media native, right? He's like 22 at the time. He had this great insight. He said, well, I think that the people that are going to buy this stuff are people that live on Twitter and social. I'm just going to tweet at them. And that's exactly what he did. He started tweeting at these massive brands. And pretty soon, as soon as we said, hey, we have these, we, we, we said, hey, we have your, did you know last week you, did, you generated 10 million impressions on Pinterest? Well, here's the thing. We actually didn't know if they, we weren't 100% sure that they had developed, generated 10 million impressions on Pinterest. <laughs> but they didn't know either. And so we got like a 95% hit rate on those tweets. And wow. very quickly, we had meetings with everybody. And by the time we exited beta, you know, we had put out, we had reserved 10 slots for this. We had 100 brands in our beta by the end of it. And these were not, you know, small brands. These were massive organizations. And, the, you know, it, it was, it, and when our investors saw that, they said, okay, you guys are clearly on to something. Um, and and it, it was to the point where brands were starting to tell us, listen, the prices that you folks are thinking of charging, you will run out of, you will, you will go out of business. You need to raise your price. What was that product? That first um, it a, product. It was a really, we, you know, it was a really basic product at the time. It was called, you know, I mean, I think we called it, we just called it Curalate at the time, and yeah. um, and it was Pinterest. It was analytics for Pinterest. It 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 told you which products from your website, specifically which images from your website, were being pinned and repinned the most often. So not just the the main. Yeah. Insight was that brands could post things to Pinterest themselves. They could pin things to Pinterest themselves and they could go back and they could see how many pins and repins they had. But the vast majority of engagement on Pinterest, you know, 80 plus percent was actually pins that came to Pinterest based on actions that consumers took, not that brands took. And that was completely dark. That information was completely dark to the brands. And it represented a tremendous amount of traffic and a tremendous amount of engagement and a tremendous amount of insight around the types of products that mattered to consumers. 
And we were able to really reveal that for brands. Um, and it actually took some real technology because it, it, it required us to develop um, image deduplication technologies that operated at extreme scale. We actually filed a patent around those things. So there were some real technologies that were built around that, um, but it, it gave brands some really useful insights. Okay, Apu, in 30 seconds, how did you get from that product to where you are today? It's it's been a combination. It's a combination of us having a really solid point of view on where we think the world is going to go and also listening to, to, to customers and, and synthesizing that into, into a larger point of view. Wow, you did a great job on that. All right, so, so Apu, this is so interesting. We really needed an hour. It was so interesting. So we'll have you back on the show, but thanks so much for coming into the studio and sharing your story. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Carl. All right. For more information about Curolate, you can visit their website, curolate.com, and you can also follow them on Twitter at Curolate. That's C-U-R-A-L-A-T-E. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM, Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud.